Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. When four strangers meet for the first time, they unknowingly begin to unravel tightly kept secrets about their worlds. This place sucks. This realm sucks. I don't mean to interrupt, but maybe speak about portals a little quieter. You know how some people aren't really into science and magic mixing together? That's just a story. Portals haven't existed for hundreds of years. Armed with little true knowledge, but unfathomable curiosity, these four strangers set out in search of answers and form an unlikely bond. I do see you, and I'd like to think that I'll be there when you're ready to talk about it. He kind of relaxes for the first time around the group. You keep putting yourself in danger for others, but who puts themselves in danger for you? Join Ivy, Varys, Alara, and Ziva as they dive headfirst into the unknown. Follow us at Rainbow Dice Club on your favorite streaming platform, and find us at Rainbow Dice Club wherever you get your podcasts. Do you trust me? Welcome, everybody, to the Tabletop Journeys podcast. I, of course, am Josh and am joined by my erstwhile co-hosts, Luanika and Glenn. Gentlemen, it has been so long since we have sat opposite microphones from one another. How the heck are you? The winter's been long. It and uh, quiet and lonely without my boys. But it hasn't been too bad. December was nuts. It always is with the holidays and all of that, plus the extra birthdays. I know you got one of those now too, Josh. I do have one of those. Because exactly. funny story, my daughter's birthday is December 17th. Her name oh, is wow. Alice. And Josh's oh, daughter's funny. birthday is December 16th. And they named her Alice. Yeah, exactly. So Just she to turned throw one that out there for everybody. Turned one, the brilliant one-year-old. Yep. And Absolutely. plus, my wife and I now run a retail store. So the holidays were crazy pants, just <laughs> ballistic. So, yeah. How about you? The holidays has been an exercise in high octane, full throttle movement, effort, energy output, and. A crazy amount of relaxation and fun. Once a lot of the hustle and bustle was done to relax a little bit and just enjoy each of the two holiday days pretty much for what they were. Like those days were not hectic. Some of the days leading up, but not all of them. But the days themselves, both of those holidays were pretty low key. And that was enjoyable for me. I liked the, the fact that it was like that. Cool. And we have not played this game in some time, but where is Glenn this week? This week, Glenn is in Virginia Beach. We're down here nice. visiting family again and escaping the cold of New England. That was a yeah. huge part of it as well. Not that it's warm here, but we are here for a specific purpose. So we didn't go all we didn't go further south because we have some folks in North Carolina and some folks in Florida. We could be yeah. a lot warmer. We're here in Virginia Beach, and it should be a good time once we get past this crazy storm we got rolling on now. We'll see if you'll yeah. catch any thunder boomers or anything through the mics as we go. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, we're getting clobbered up here, as they say. Clobbered, up, eh? up to a foot of snow tonight, 50 mile an hour winds tomorrow. Interesting thing, though. 
Yes. One of the things I like to do while I'm traveling is go into local game shops and talk yeah. about us a little bit and whatnot. And I was in one that's actually in Hampton, Newport News area. It's not quite in Virginia Beach because my son was going there with a friend. And they have two or three stores. And one of the most interesting things I'd run into at a game store, they run a gaming subscription between their three stores. And they have specific games that are on their calendar that you have to be a member in order to play, but you can get into any of those games for free. I'm not entirely certain how I feel about that, but I thought it was neat. And I, I just wanted to share. I'd never I mean, run into like that model before, but... It's not unlike what we do with our Patreon games, where right? our Patreon subscribers get invited to go ahead and uh, play with us on a monthly basis and uh, uh, rotating cast of games and storytellers. So not unlike yeah, that at all. I've just never seen it in a physical location before. I thought it was neat. Sorry about that. In a digital environment, it would be very similar to signing up with a professional DM service. And basically, all the DMs have a single rate. Yep. And you can jump in on any individual table run by any of a block of DMs yeah. uh, or what have you. If they're able to fill enough tables in three locations, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, they have a bigger comic. I mean, this one has a full comic book store built into it, too. And they have a big comic book and card game um, customer base and they don't seem to run quite as many rpgs so i think if you do sign up for the subscription sometimes you're playing in this store and sometimes you're playing in that store mm, uh, depending okay. on where the game is this week yeah. you mentioned the thunder boomers and it got me thinking as i was working on the thundersworn for the fashions book mm. uh, the, today as well so getting a couple things in place putting together some notes and getting on some of their some of their events and some of the things that they do their cultural pieces it made me smile and chuckle a little bit inside my gamer heart just <laughs> Speaking of smiling and chuckling, let us let us introduce tonight's guest. That was not a great transition, but that, look, I'm out of practice. Like I'm out of practice. Like, wow. But, <laughs> but, so what happened here speaking was speaking of, of entities that breathe <laughs> and are carbon-based life forms. Yeah. What <laughs> here's I our guest today. From, what I gathered from that, this was a task difficulty three with a task complication, basically a trait that made it a four. Yeah. Rusty was that trait. Yeah, yeah. Josh yeah. rolled a 20, and so this, you yeah. know, some threat was gained. And, and a complication. That, and yeah, a complication. And, and with that yeah. complication and a brief explanation of those kind of uh, uh, mental theatrics and, and mechanics, we bring you Al Spader. Uh, a guest with no complication, uh, Mr. Al Spader. Al, welcome back to Tabletop Journeys. You are in a rare club of people who have been on the show more than once. I don't think that anybody has been on the show more than once in such rapid succession. You were only on the show like six months ago or so. So it is awesome to go ahead and have you back. Thank you so much. Yeah. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat some games with you guys. Yeah, so I, I know last time we talked a bunch of Star Trek because when we when we launched 2023, that was like the year of Star Trek over here on Tabletop Journeys. We talked a lot of Star Trek when you came on the last time, uh, but that's not necessarily what we're going to be talking about tonight. So what have you been up to in the last six months before we start uh, peppering you with questions? Uh, so I have been continuing to work on Star Trek Adventures, uh, multiple different projects that have been uh, pretty cool and hopefully will be announced soon. But on top of that, I also created a role-playing game called Shent Sentience, which is uh, part of the 2D20 World Builders program, all about sentient robots. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit as well. And doing other little projects here and there. I released some Monster of the Week mysteries and currently working on a storybook fantasy setting and a new role-playing game system that I'm hoping to have out by April. Nice. I love so, to hear Monster of the Week story. I've, I've been running Monster of the Week for a few months now. I just started just yeah. before a catacomb back at, in November. I learned it for that, and I'm run it for our Patreons and some friends and family and Lewanika. Yeah. I think I'm going to start running it for our Patreons regularly this year because I freaking love it. And yeah. I love to hear that I, you're writing some adventures for I that. Sa I sat down and played one game of it and fell in love and instantly started writing a bunch of mysteries for it. And so what I did was I collected those together. They're all based on true New England folklore stories. I love um, it. So, it, it it's, so that like one of them's a story about cryptid in Maine. I talk a little bit. There's a mystery about the America Stonehenge in Salem, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And then there. I did one 
about Vale End Cemetery, which is right on the border of New Hampshire and Mass. It's like the most haunted place in New Hampshire. Those are my three mysteries that are published. And I'm excited. I've got a couple of ideas for more eventually when I can find some free time. I, so, I see Louie getting scared already. Yeah, the actual using actual folklore and legends, I even more love. I'm working on one from the Hanging Hills in Litchfield County in Connecticut. There's the, uh, the fable of this ghostly black dog that if you see it, then you die X number love of minutes later. And I was going to build off of that. I'm like, dude, I live in an RV. So if I continue to run Monster of the Week on a regular basis, I could base my adventures off of the legends and lore that I discover in the places that I am. I could look up a local legend and base it off of that while I'm there, and I thought that would be awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, point of order, never again on this podcast should we ever speak about ghosts and dogs (laughs) in the same breath. I will not abide this poppycock. You need a minute to change your shorts? (laughs) Yeah. It wouldn't make a difference. <laughs> yeah, we've told the story about the the time that we went and saw the Blair Witch Project, Luminica. Like that's we've told that story on the air before. Yeah. yeah I, uh, now, at, if you uh, haven't heard that story, like three days later, when he finally went to sleep, that was when he finally let me go to sleep. He wouldn't let me go to sleep either. Yeah, I yeah, I'm not about it. I don't I, like ghosts. I'm fine with games that have ghosts because that is absolutely not real. Y'all yeah, yeah. start bringing in real ghosts, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I got to check out here. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I am confident it'll be a great game. I have a great oh. Monster of the Week character, and as long as Salt and or Iron works on any of these ghosts, this guy should be fine. <laughs> it, it, it makes sense. Even even watching Supernatural, they brought in local legends and stuff. They yep. took out the Hookman Hook and yeah. Bloody Mary in, the, in season one before the season was halfway over over yeah yep. they sure yeah, did and i yeah. even like so the characters that i put in to each of the mysteries that you can meet up with and get clues from are based on real people so you go to a college and get some information and it's based on one of the professors there and yeah, i did a cool. lot of research and had some fun with that so oh, it's good brilliant. perhaps you could run a crew of us through one of your your mysteries yeah. absolutely that'd be a blast yeah. So before we get into the questions tonight, we're going to be starting a whole series of shows on the podcast this year with an arc of episodes. The first one is going to be an interview with the indie creator. In this case, we'll be talking tonight about sentience and kind of what you've been up to and some other things makerable in there. And then this coming weekend, we'll be recording an actual play with you. There'll be four of us, it'll be the three of us, and one of our Patreon subscribers will be joining us. And next Tuesday, the three of us are going to be getting together and talking about the core rule book and the quick start guide. We'll be talking about the books themselves and what we're seeing in the book. Not really a review necessarily, but more just like a discussion of what's in the book and kind of the rule system. So it'll be a four-part arc featuring extensions here. And on the upside, when we do that last one, because we'll have already played the actual play, we'll be able to draw off of real game experience as we talk about the actual book and the mechanics of the game. And I'm really excited about that. Without any further ado here, gentlemen, for the first time in 2024, fan roll dice to the ready. Let us see what we got for Mr. Spader here tonight. Uh, And I think we're roll low because we're 2d20, right? Are we rolling 2d20? Uh, No, no, but it's like roll low on 1d20, right? All right, so low man wins. Low man wins, yeah, okay. Since we're doing 2d20 system, should we roll two of them and pick the better one? I'm down with that. Nice. Nice. Can I buy an extra die with threat? <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> Snap, uh, I rolled a, a three and a seven. That's so a six for me. Because I'm already getting more dice. I had to, because I only had one with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, four. All right, I get to go last in round one. All right, Mr. Three, Myers, four, microphone is yours. Have at it. Well, welcome back, Al, as we've already said. Super excited to start talking about sentience, and I mean, it kind of broaches the whole current touchy topic of, you know, AI, and I'm sure we'll dive into that a little bit. But I want to start out by saying that I haven't dove into the full book yet. Today, I went through the quick start guide, because that seemed like the best place to start to get it in my head. And a lot of it was somewhat familiar from learning the Star Trek system and the 2D20 system through Star Trek Adventures by Modiphius. So that helped, because learning the whole system for the first time kicked my hiney, but this was way, way, way easier. But the way you've set it up to be able to have a fully robotic society that's nothing but artificial intelligences, some of which are fully sentient, and some of which are still just artificial, The difference between those two, I thought, was awesome and fascinating. And so that's one part of my question is, can you explain that piece as you discuss for the audience the game in the game of sentience, how this this robot society has come to be and the fact that the humans are no longer here with us? 
and how that whole thing plays into the world you're trying to create for everybody to play in. Uh, I, I'm I'm excited that uh, that you were uh, starting to jive and seeing some similarities with the Star Trek system because I did take a lot from there because uh, I think it's really good for character development. The basic story of Sentience is uh, you role play as terraforming robots uh, who were left on a planet by humanity, uh, and humanity went off to go settle and terraform other planets. And in the time before humanity has returned to your planet an event known as the awakening has happened. And essentially a bunch of the terraforming robots on the planet gained sentience and started experiencing emotions. And the, it wasn't every robot on the planet. And those that did awaken had some difficult times dealing with this, right? The very early days of the sentience was an issue for many robots. They had no idea what to do. Some lashed out in fear, some lashed out in anger, and there was a lot of chaos in the first few years. And now, as we begin our stories, we're trying to rebuild this society and prepare for the potential return of humanity. And I left it pretty wide open for GMs to determine how they want to play that part of the game is humanity going to be friendly when they arrive are they going to be antagonistic when they arrive i put a lot of that power in the gm's hands which i loved by the way it was like there was enough detail to really get your imagination flowing as you're reading through it and you're thinking through the scenarios everything from why humanity left to the actual cause of the awakening to how they'll behave when they return Leaving it open for the GMs means that everybody's world and everybody's game of sentience around our world could be completely different, and that's pretty neat. I love that answer. Uh, I really appreciate between uh, your answer and Glenn's uh, response to the answer, I had my very first question entirely snaked, so I am going to move on to question number two. Yeah, uh, I love you too, Glenn, and kudos to you for getting the first snake of 2024. It was a a hard-fought battle. I didn't even get a chance to do it. It, It's terrible. Moving on, I wanted to talk about something that usually when we're reviewing a game book, I don't end up mentioning, whether it's accurate or not, and that is just the look of the book. And specifically, the typeset, the color on the pages where it has that pseudo metallic sheen or it's a little darker at the top, a little lighter at the bottom. The weight of the actual typeset is dark enough where even in both environments, it's very easy to read that plus this really gorgeous robotic neo-futuristic cold blue characters that are throughout the book on so many of the pages really gave a gorgeous book that provided for me personally an ease of legibility and accessibility that I don't often see in game books. I frequently talk on uh, off camera that even with books I love, I struggle so much with picking out the right pieces of information and being able to read it. I'm always looking for the printer-friendly, all-on-black-on-white version so that I can read a document and and ingest the material, regardless of how good the material is. I love the fact that is unnecessary with this book. Can you talk to me about the decision-making process? How was Were those merely aesthetic decisions, or was it also conscious decisions about that accessibility piece? So the books that you guys got are the revised editions of the Quick Start and the Core Rulebook. So the initial versions I just wrote in Microsoft Word with a real basic template. And the art direction was a little all over the place. But it was it allowed me to quickly get this together and up on RPG once the World Builders program dropped. I put it up initially at Pay What You Want. We did a bunch of downloads, and eventually I got connected with Jay Sedalius from the Yellow Hand, which is a group that of it's like a collective of game designers. And he said, "Hey, I really like your concept. I would love to do some layout for you." And I was like, "I can't really afford that right now, but maybe once I get a few more downloads in, I can do that." He threw together just a couple of pages for me, and I was like, "This is exactly like my vision." 
And so I talked with him about it and, and we were able to come to an agreement and he did the layout for all of my books. We did go with the metallic look and the cool blues to support that a little bit. One of the things that we really struck gold on is when a lot of people learn how to do um, 3D imaging and 3D mapping, a lot of people start with robot chassis. Um, that's one of the design tricks that they practice on. Uh, so there's a ton of free robotic pictures out there. You got to be really, you got to scrutinize them for AI, of course, but there are several artists who this is what they do. They do 3D robot rendering. And so we were able to do this complete book with relatively little uh, little cost. So we were pretty excited about that as well. And it just, it feels like you are, and if you, even if you get to the character sheet in the core rule book, you'll notice that it's a landscape character sheet to look like a heads up display, right? So we wanted the th- we wanted everything to feel like this was robotic in some way. Absolutely gorgeous. As a person who deals with, lives with, works through ADHD and and just challenges with visual input as far as being able to pick the right pieces of information to make something make sense. This was really helpful, specifically when you're reading the mechanics pieces. While I know it's the 2D20 system, I've been doing that for a while. In the last couple of days, I've had a couple of chats with you. It's like, was this elsewhere? I never saw this. And you're like, yeah, it was elsewhere also. Certainly in the Star Trek game, I never picked that out of that information, but it stood out here. Now, The fact that I have so much acumen with the system probably helps that to some extent, but visually, I just never even saw the sections. I didn't even know some of these sections existed in some of the other games. A great reason why people should always try new games in different systems, shameless plug for 2D20, try them all. They're all really good, but specifically because you will see things in one that you may not have seen in the other. I'm noticing that with everyday heroes and some rules that are actually base 5e rules that i was unaware of little things like that and it's because for whatever reason that section didn't stand out over here but it stands out in this other location and i think that's interesting and a really cool thing something for game designers out there to keep in mind sometimes shaking up the way something does especially if you're using somebody else's rule set can actually help your game quite a bit all right up to me finally in round one here and i'm going to give you half of a snake for that because i saw you talking about the layout of the book and everything like that i'm like oh don't you go where i think you're going to go and and you didn't but i was going to start talking about the layout also it is beautiful yes it's beautiful yeah and and it 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 really the layout is very effective also it's it really captures the imagination and sets the tone of the book right off so kudos to 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 you and your team al my question was more about kind of the the guts of the book here like i there are a bunch of quotes from asimov in the book i'm looking through here and i'm seeing like references to like robo to, to robotech and stuff like that so I want to hear more from you about what are what are the bones of sentience. Obviously, we know it's built on the 2D20 system, and the 2D20 system has that super narrative cinematic structure to it that we all know and love so well. But what about sentience in particular? What are the media or the games or the other things that kind of went into the making of sentience as a game itself? There was a lot of referencing and things that I was thinking about as I was starting to put this together. Uh, Westworld was a big driving factor mm, for me. Yep. Um, the new one or the you know, original? Especially season one, like I think did a lot of yeah. similar type ideas. Um, but even beyond what what influenced me in that manner, I was more thinking about where we are right now as far as artificial intelligence goes and how scary and intimidating and how it's a dangerously useful tool that can hurt a lot of people currently. And and so throughout almost all media, when you look at artificial intelligence, it's almost always the antagonist. And I said, I want to see a hopeful future with artificial intelligence. I want to see artificial intelligence as protagonist. I want to see characters saying, oh, wait, it's not right for me to steal from 1,000 other artists and make my own piece of art without citing them as sources. And so that was really where I started going. We need to have a hopeful view of what could happen on the other side 
of this artificial intelligence chaos that we're going through right now. I, we've all had friends that have lost jobs because of artificial intelligence. And it looks like there's going to be more of that before we get beyond this chaos and we and we find a way to manage it and use it in a way that pays heed to everyone that, that we're borrowing from and things like that. So in sentience, you get a ch- you get the chance to show what that artificial intelligence could become, what its potential is. That's that is an amazingly hopeful view of where we are today. Do you think that this is I'm going to ask a, a quick follow-up question. I'm going to I know I got the complication earlier, but I'm going to go ahead and buy some threat to go ahead and, and get some additional information out of you. How likely do you think a positive future is based on where we are now? I'm going to ask you to play Karnak the Magnificent, right? And try to prognosticate a little bit about where you think the future is going. I always believe that there's some type of hopeful future. I just think that you have to go through a lot of hardships before you can figure out what that is. And and it's going to take a lot of monitoring and oversight to manage what that hopeful future can be. Because there's no question about it that the tools that exist because of artificial intelligence right now can be used for for great things. The problem is, who are you stealing from in order to do that? That's really what we have to get beyond and be able to manage in some way. What that looks like, that's not for me to decide, but I, I think that any new technologies, like any new um, experiences, we're going to see a rough spot for a while before we can come out the other end. And yeah. and when we come out the other end, hopefully it'll be for the better. I, I agree totally with a, trying to have a hopeful future for AI because I want to, man, I want data, but I'm afraid of Skynet. I'm going to be honest, right? Just to work with the different possibilities. Right. <laughs> I, I want data, but I'm afraid of Skynet. So I got a little trepidation, but it makes total sense. You're absolutely right because any new technology that surpasses our current system's and our current laws in terms of regulation is going to cause an upset for a while because we don't have anything written to deal with this. Current copyright law is not written to a level where it can handle this problem. So until that arbitration is taken care of, and God knows how long it's going to take, before there is oversight and before there is regulation, and will it be good oversight and good regulation? But until we get through this part, yeah, lots of people are going to try to take advantage of it, and they're going to try to pull one over on us. And it's getting harder and harder to tell. Sometimes you can spot things, but sometimes you can't. And they've made tools that are supposed to be able to detect it, like an AI detection tool, but they're mediocre at best. Sometimes they have false positives. Sometimes they have false negatives. So how is anybody supposed to sort this out until we get through it? But hopefully, I agree, on the other side, we're going to find more data, less Skynet. There are two wolves within Liwanika. One of them firmly and fully believes in a Star Trek-style future where we get through these. There's another wolf that says, how long is the tough part going to be? And where are the sacrifices and who's going to make the tough decisions? Who's going to shoulder the burden to get us through those tough times? That's how I think about it. So if anybody ever asks me that question long term, yes. I just don't know how much time and how much pain is between where we are today and the start of that long term today alone i first it was brought to my attention that new ai scandal is breaking in the business so it's and i found it interesting and i'm not going to jump on a bandwagon and yell and scream at anybody because the three of us on this podcast have said for a while it is going to become increasingly harder to make that determination, even if you are trying to be a good steward. It's just going to be hard. All you can really do is promise to keep your eye out, promise to be as attentive as you can, and hope that your audience trusts that if and when things go wrong, they trust that you are doing your best. The most recent bad news is a company that is struggling with getting people to trust them. So whether they were, were not, knew, didn't know, who knew, who didn't know, who cares from my seat? The fact is that's an organization that has trust issues, so no one's going to give them a fair shake regardless of what the truth is. 
What we can do as content creators is do our best to always act in a trustworthy manner. So it's so if the worst were to happen, we'll be okay. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we've leveled up our game and we're prepared to make your next role legendary. We've just started a partnership with FanRoll Dice and they have over 300 product options to choose from. Gemstone, metal, new liquid core dice, and so much more. Better yet, listeners to the Tabletop Journeys podcast can get 10% off on their orders when they follow the link below and use discount code PODCAST10. A portion of these purchases come back to us, and this is a great way for you to help support the show. All right, gentlemen, I think that brings us up to round two. Yeah, let's uh, fan roll dice to the ready. Let's see who gets to go. Let's see. That's a 15 and a 16, so it ain't going to be me. Ooh-wee! Well, uh, oh, this is a fan roll dice. I'm sorry. I saw the uh, marker, and I'm like, this is not a Star Trek die. So that probably means I just rolled a complication. Sure did. Yeah, I like it. And the other one is a two. Nice. I got a three again and an 18. So your two beats my three. I'll go last again. Sorry, Josh. So, so, Al, you've been working with the 2D20 system for quite some time now. Uh, We've actually called upon you as a subject matter expert to be on the show. I personally lean on you frequently as a subject matter matter expert as we uh, get in and prep for different things coming up. Several rules that I saw actually in this book for the first time or noticed in this book, we are going to be employing with our season two of Star Trek Preservation. So thank you for giving us the opportunity for me to learn some of these lessons before we get started. That's going to be hot and makes a lot of sense when I couch that with some of the answers you've given me to questions about this felt really easy. How? It, why is, does it feel easy? And this coupled with some of the things you spoke about in previous conversations is that. So really appreciate you bringing that to us. But speaking specifically about sentience, and we're going to do a lot more with that, obviously, when we play. But as you were writing this book or this series of books, the adventure, the core book, prepping the quick start, what was your favorite part of it. I, I, we know where the ideas originated from, thanks to the last question, but what was the part that when you were writing it, like the glee just beamed across your face and you were typing so frantic, you looked like Kermit on the typewriter, just jamming all happy about it. Music was going off and you felt the soundtrack of cool robots and action sequences and cool deep space opera going on. Like, what was that part of the book for you? Without a question, it was something that I put in called value sacrifices. And so this is a concept that does exist in Star Trek Adventures, right? You can you can call to a value that you have and get bonuses, or you can challenge a value that you have and get bonuses. In sentience, your values are what are your sentience. It's like what makes you alive. And so... There will be times when you are doing something and you're pushing yourself to the edge where maybe your abilities and your emotions aren't enough to be successful. So what you can do is you can allow your AI self to take over. And the way you do that is you cross out a value that is least applicable to the scene that is going on and you get rid of it and you get the bonuses of using a value just like you would in Star Trek Adventures. However, in sentience, if you ever end up with zero values, you are no longer sentient. You revert to being AI, and you can no longer be played as a character. There are mechanics in the game on how you can get those values back. And and it usually involves going to a recovery center, doing yoga, mud baths, things like that, where you are like coming back to who you are and reigniting who you were, and then you can gain values back. So it's actually mechanics built in on how you go through that and get your values back to get your humanity back, essentially. 
a robot in a mud bath is just that is a amazing uh, uh, evocative image for me right now. I immediately thought of C three PO coming out of the oil bath in Star Wars: A New Hope when he's mm. like, "Oh, my servos!" and he's all excited. The greatest <laughs> thing that's ever happened to me is I can feel everything working so much better and all that. I do a terrible C three PO voice, so do forgive me. But it's as good uh, as any of your other voices. That's, that's Come on now. Some of my voices are spot on. A couple of them are banging. Yeah. Yeah. 3PO is <laughs> probably among my Probably words. not on that list. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would do yeah. that. But, yeah. Yeah. So. Nice. Cool. I want to dive into the character aspect because I'm excited to play this Saturday. So I have, of course, read all of the different roles for the types of robot you started out as and how the character creation process rolls forward from there choosing your where you start your role they're all different and they are all very interesting and fun but then going into a life path system right after that i absolutely love lee Wanika and i and josh have all talked extensively over how much we like like a life path style character creation i won't call i don't really want to call it it's more of a character development like to help you build it as you go instead of just coming up with the concept all at once these random events from how you reacted to your awakening through your social groups, etc., come together to make each robot, each android, each machine, depending on what your type is, unique. I was wondering if you could talk to us about that a little bit, please. And I'm specifically fascinated by the concepts of how they can alter themselves post-awakening, because I was reading about that as well, how you may both come off the assembly line the same, but you meet a couple of years later, you could be totally different, because now that you're awakened, you're not just following your old task, whether you're an administrator or security personnel or whatever your role was. That's not you anymore. You're pursuing your own interests. It makes me think of fun smash-ups. Like my favorite so far that I've come up with is take Wally and smash him up with Ed 209, whichever way they started, whether they started out as a protector like an Ed 209 or they started out as a, in a recycling force like a Wally. The roles were basically what were assigned to you when you were dropped off on the planet, right? That Those are your programming revolves around that and whatnot. However, what's cool is every character starts their, their story path, their life path at the exact same time, right? But every character might've had different experiences immediately following the awakening, which is pretty cool. But as society has started to grow, and if you do three years after the awakening or five years or 10, Robots have started to learn more about humanity themselves. Some are trying to mimic humanity. Some are installing taste sensors so that they can figure out what eating is all about. And you'll notice that the programs that, especially on the pre-generated characters, some of them have to do with the jobs they may have been doing, but then there's other really fun ones. Like I know one character has juggling and another has humanity movies and, and, and things like that. It's interesting and, and I wanted to play with the fact that maybe some robots really are trying to embrace what is this what it means to be a human is to follow what our creators used to be like, whereas others are like, I'm, I still have to do my job every day. Otherwise, we're never going to have this planet terraformed in, by the time humanity gets back. Meanwhile, others might be like, I'm never going to work again. I'm just going to go hang out in the mud baths all day. So I really wanted anything to be possible, right? Obviously, you want to discuss that in a session zero first with how you want to pursue dealing with a new society. But I think that, yeah, I think that anything can be possible. There is a, a leveling up system, which involves earning character points. And basically you ask questions at the end of a session, and I think you can earn up to three character points and you can spend those to do multiple different things. Give yourself new upgrades, change out folk programs and things like that. That's been a lot of fun. Everybody that's had, that's seen that so far has really enjoyed it and appreciated it. In fact, the biggest one in there is that you can earn one character point if you used four out of your six emotions appropriately in a session so that people aren't just spamming one emotion over and over again. It encourages them to, to run the gambit and they get rewarded at the end. I like that a lot because... In playing other games, sometimes it's difficult to come up with reasons to use the other, uh, some of the other skill sets and the pairings and the matchings that you make. One of the things I found most interesting there was it sounded like, as you were discussing the chaos following the awakening, it sounded a lot like what we were discussing just a minute ago in 
modern times with the turbulent chaos that is going on just at AI's inception. There's nothing to regulate. There's nothing to control whether or not somebody just goes and spends their days in the mud baths. But if nobody maintains the electrical grid, then it all goes down and something could happen to the hub. So you got to find at some point as robot society forms, they're going to have to find a way to get people at least performing the basic functions. But in the beginning, in those beginning phases, that that could be complete chaos. The whole reason that the robots come with weapons and whatnot was because they were all protecting themselves immediately after the awakening. And now it's like a gut instinct to have that with you just in case this happens again, because that that first year was just chaos. There's a lot in there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and can I just say the thought of playing a robot who is in touch with his emotions because he input a uh, food tasting sensor and is literally eating ice cream while watching Eat, Pray, Love, Sense and Se- Sensibility and Much Ado About Nothing – makes me scream with joy. Glenn, you made the comment earlier about you want data, but you're afraid of Skynet. Like, when did data start really getting, not in trouble, but when did he start malfunctioning? It's when he started turning on his emotions. And so that's really, like, how does a robot kind of reconcile that algorithmically? The implications of this are just, are fascinating. I think you, that, that's the best thing that I can say is that this is just a fascinating product, Al. What I wanted, so reading through here, again, there's just a lot in this book, really interesting stuff. For folks who know the 2D20 system, either they know Star Trek or Dr. Cthulhu or whatever, like any of the other f- really interesting 2D2, 2D20 systems, what do you think is going to feel most familiar to them about sentience? And what do you think is going to be the biggest departure from your normal average 2D20 system? That's a great question. I, I, so we still use momentum and threat, which is common across all. It might be not be called momentum and threat across the board, but that's what it's called here. I still use focuses like in Star Trek, but they're just called programs, right? These are the programs that you've either humanity gave you or that you've installed yourself as you're learning on who you want to be as a person. All very familiar. The combat system is pretty much the same as you would see in Octung or Star Trek Adventures. I did add in the reaction system, which is not used in a bunch of games. So basically, an opposed attack in Star Trek Adventures, both sides roll the dice. Uh, In Sentience, you can only make an opposed attack if you use your reaction. And there are other things that you can use reactions for in the game as well. That's probably the biggest from a lot of the standard 2D20 games is that reaction system. Aside from that, you still are combining two stats together to come up with a target number for your pool. So that's going to feel very familiar with you. The one catch is, and we've mentioned it a, a few times here, is six of your stats are emotions. Okay. When I ask you to take a, a try a task, it's going to be a skill that you are doing, but then you also t- have to tell me how you feel while you're doing it. So we're talking about fear, we're talking about love, we're talking about pride, sadness, joy. And I'll tell you, I've run this game probably about a dozen times now whenever somebody says they want to do something and I say, okay, so how do you feel about that? They all pause and they have to think because lots of times in these type of games, you just go through the motions and you do your actions and you roll your dice and see what happens. But now you really have to think about your character right? How am I feeling right now at this moment in time? And we've had some really cool uh, moments in the one shots that I've run where people are like, oh, I guess I am feeling this way. So that's probably the biggest departure from what you, I guess that's closest to Dune 2D20 with the drives. It's very similar to that. But uh, yeah, most checks or most tasks that I ask people to do, I don't tell them which emotion to use. They decide that. I tell them what the skill check's going to be. There'll be a couple of times if there's a big, giant, cyber dinosaur that bursts out of the side of a mountain, you might need to roll fear, right? Like, I might say that. But for the most part, almost every single time, I let the characters choose which emotion they're using. <clears throat> there is so much interesting fruit on this vine, now. Oh. Yeah, there is. I really like that. I know specifically the way I run Star Trek Adventures 
I really lean hard into, and anybody who's an avid listener of Star Trek Preservations knows that I am very consistent about what's your approach. Like I try my best not to prescribe the the either the attribute or the discipline that is being used. I really lean towards them. And there might be a discussion of, I'm not really seeing that, maybe this or this. Or if they seem like they're not sure, then I'll offer options. Like it could be this or this is where I try to go. I try not to prescribe that with the replacement for attributes being emotions. I think that further removes me as a GM from making that decision for a player. From being able to make that decision. Yeah. yeah, From being able to, right? Because I can't prescribe how somebody else feels about a thing. They're playing the character. The player may have their own emotions about it. And I think it really puts the player in a position to be better engaged in what's going on uh, because they're not waiting for somebody to spoon feed that option to them. So I really like that. Yeah, and I think that kind of dynamic really underscores why I was so happy to go ahead and see a comprehensive safety tool section at the beginning of the book. Because if we're going to be asking players to dive into their emotional selves at the table, doing that in a safe way is tantamount. And so that that Absolutely. works really well together. And forgive me for speaking out of turn. I think all of us have broken at least one rule with this whole process here today. <laughs> I will just say that that is probably one of the best written safety tool discussions I have seen in a core book. We've done whole shows on this, like multiples, and talk about it all the time. But I think as far as in writing, that was one of the best that I've seen in writing. I will actually, moving forward, literally direct people to this when I have these discussions. If they don't know what I'm talking about, it's like, read this book, at least this page, and you'll know where I'm coming from. So very well done. I just want to throw out there that Allison Seib, one of the writers for Star Trek Adventures, she was kind of my partner in crime on that that whole uh, chapter with the safety tools and the whole lore section about robotics in general. She threw that all together to me and was super excited to get in there and and, and just talk about what does it mean to be a robot? What has been the history of robots here on Earth? She was a, a great big help on that section. So I want to give her the props uh, for doing that as well. Yeah, I'm very familiar with Allison's work on uh, several different projects. She's worked with a number of folks that I've come to call friends over the last couple of years. And her quality of work never disappoints me. All right, so I think we're going to step aside for just a minute for our Patreon-exclusive question here. So everybody out there listening, uh, if you want to go ahead and hear what we're going to go ahead and talk to Al about uh, for the next few minutes here, go to www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys and uh, get in on the action there. Otherwise, we'll be back in just a couple minutes. back from our patreon exclusive question with al spader al thank you very much for the time tonight really appreciate you coming on to to talk through sentience here where can folks find sentience and where can they connect with you uh i'm underscore admiral on every social media platform if you ever want to just chat games reach out i I love talking games all the time sentience is up on drive through rpg make sure you type in sentience 2d20 It'll pop you. It'll pop up the quick start, which is absolutely free, and then the core rulebook and Tales from the Awakening, which is four adventures for the robots. That's what we're going to be role playing on Saturday night. I can't um, wait. And what's great about those four missions? I wrote one of them, and then three others that are written in there are first time writers, first time being published. I went around to people that I knew that had always been interested in doing that type of thing. And I was like, hey, do you want to put a story into this book? And they were all super excited to be a part of that. Yeah, that that is a fun book. Uh, Altogether, there's six adventures already written for Sentience. If you get the quick start, that has one. The core rule book has one. And then you have four from Tales from the Awakening. So that's a lot to get started. Yeah, absolutely. That is awesome. Al, thanks again for being here. Our Patreons really have, we've done a lot of really good Patreon only questions and content. I think this probably is going to be one of the best ones they've ever had a chance to get a listen to. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. It's great. I like this new format that you have. I'm excited to see where it goes and who else you get on and 
it'll be fun. We're excited to yeah. see where it goes. Like we love talking to indie content creators. That's really right. that's really one of the things that we love doing and being able to go ahead and not, not only bring them on and talk to them, but also showcase their games a little bit. I think this is going to be really special. So we're really excited for this year too. So, and I look forward to hopefully seeing you at Total Con in February. We're a month and a couple weeks away, and uh, I'll be there all four days. I've got two different STA games that I'm running while I'm there, and I look forward to meeting you in person for the first time. Yeah, fingers crossed I can get down there for a day or two. I've got, I think I've found myself a table to run games at, so I'm pretty excited nice. about that. So it'll be in the Dungeon Dragons room, but uh, but it's a table, it's a space. So yeah. I'll probably be running some sentience, and maybe I'll do one of my convention-only Star Trek games. Cool. If you yes, because I heard about that on Michael's show just last weekend. I'm like, I did not know about that specifically. I'm gonna have to check in. I don't think I can do it for TotalCon, but I'm gonna have to check in for the next couple conventions I go to, so I can pick up some of that exclusive okay. content. I personally am looking forward to seeing you on Saturday, where we're gonna play Sentience. I've even already picked my character, as long as the boys don't object. So, like, I'm ready. I have not picked my character yet, so if you've got got stake and claim in that, how about it? I didn't pick my character, but I did, while reading the quick guide, feel the urge to build a robot Hero Forge. Of course you uh, did. Which I shared with our group, and (laughs) so that's it. So I'm all in. (laughs) Like, all in. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thanks again, Al, so very much for coming on and joining us here. Next week on the show, uh, we're continuing with the cast interviews from Star Trek Preservations, our Star Trek actual play. Uh, we're meeting with all the players individually, uh, refreshing you all out there about who they are and everything like that. Season two begins right around mid-February. So be, uh, make sure you subscribe to the channel to go ahead and catch those updates when they come out. Next Friday, we'll be uh, starting to showcase the uh, the first part of that Sentience actual play with Al's play. We're really looking forward to that also. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for a great night. Appreciate the time as always and uh, yeah we'll talk to you again next week thanks so much everybody good night all later thank you for joining us this has been tabletop journeys we would love to hear your feedback on our show today join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast you can also stay in touch by subscribing to our twitter tumblr or instagram at ttjourneys joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends Await. Legends Await.